Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is KB5JBV, Richard, and you are listening to the Resonant Frequency Amateur Radio Podcast. Uh, Good evening, everybody. Thank you for downloading this week, and I'm really sorry about the quality of last week's podcast, but we'll work together to improve things. First news this week is we are now on iTunes. Those of you who are using the iTunes program, y'all go on over and subscribe to us, type resonant frequency into the search engine, and we ought to show right on up. For those of you who are not using iTunes, we are also available at Podnova, Pageflakes, Podcast Alley, and Odeo. And as a last resort, you can go on over to FeedBurner and... Put us on over there. That URL is feeds.feedburner.com stroke resonant frequency, all one word. And there you have it, a handful of ways to get at it. I throw my call sign out quite a bit. And unfortunately, in the past, people have had trouble distinguishing because a lot of the letters sound alike. The actual call, and I'll give it to y'all phonetically, is Kilo, Bravo, 5, Juliet, Bravo, Victor. So when I throw my call sign out in a hurry, y'all, y'all know how to, how to put her down. Uh, the reason I gave you that information is because I'm fixing to give you this information. We are looking for comments, feedback, suggestions. Uh, we're also looking for folks who would like to be guests on Resonant Frequency, the amateur radio podcast. If you feel you're proficient in a certain aspect of amateur radio and would like to be on the on the podcast, you can send me an email or uh, go over to the blog site. The blog for Resonant Frequency, the amateur radio podcast, can be found at kb5jbv.blogspot, B-L-O-G-S-P-O-T, blogspot.com. And to reach me by email, fire that email off to kb5jbv at gmail.com. And who knows, we might even read some of those emails on the air. Y'all don't be afraid to ask questions, the new guys, and folks have been around for a while y'all jump right on in and give us whatever advice you might want to hand out there we are currently working on guests i have five to six of them in the works right now we're negotiating on getting them on on the podcast here but once again let me remind y'all that we're amateur radio operators so Just about anybody can be on Resonant Frequency, the amateur radio podcast, because everybody knows something that nobody else does. And variety is what appeals to most of us in amateur radio. So, y'all get in touch with me. I'd like to hear from you. I've spent some time with some of the other uh, amateur radio podcasters in the last week or so, and we're having a ball, so y'all jump right on in. Okay. I believe that's everything for this segment. We're going to move on to the next one.
This past weekend, I got to spend a little time with Jeremy, KE5EYC, over at the Amateur Radio Q&A podcast. We were joined by Chuck, N1LEE, Lima Echo Echo, out in Pennsylvania, and we spent a little time talking ham radio. We had a really good time over there, and Jeremy... His particular podcast is a talk show style podcast that is scheduled, but it currently does not have a regular schedule. He does it when he's able. So we're going to dive right on into this and let y'all have a listen if you haven't heard it already. This podcast has been edited for time reasons. Uh, It ran a little bit longer than I had time for in this particular podcast. But I believe I got most of the relevant stuff in there. So y'all kick back and have your soda and uh, we'll listen to last weekend at Ham Radio Q&A. Welcome to Amateur Radio Q&A. This is March the 3rd, 2007. It's been a month since my last talk cast. And tonight I'm joined by Richard from Texas, KB5JBV, and Chuck I I don't remember your call sign. What's your call sign, Chuck? November one Lima Echo Echo N one L E E. Okay, I should remember that. I remember Wally's, but I don't remember yours. Uh, and Chuck is in Pennsylvania. And Richard, I assume you're in the Dallas area. Yeah, just outside of Dallas. Uh, I'm in Ball Springs. We share a, a common city limit with Dallas. Okay, and you're around Mesquite or or. Is that the area I'm thinking of, the same area? Yeah, over on the uh, on the east side of the county. East, okay, that's that's what I thought. I looked up uh, Balch Springs, too, and on Google, and I, I thought that's where it was, there on 635 and near I-20. Uh, I'm a truck driver, by the way, <laughs> if you didn't already know that. Uh, well, uh, I don't know what y'all want to talk about, but I'd like to ask Richard some questions about something I've seen on his website. I know what I'm, uh, I'm I'm looking at your brag tape here on your website, and for all y'all listening to the stream and to the download, the website is kb5jbv, that's JulietBravoVictor.net, and he's got his brag tape here, and I know what an official observer is, uh, I don't know if everybody knows that. You want to tell us exactly what that is? Well, for those that don't know, uh, the FCC has uh, lots and lots of things to keep up with. And since that's the case, they did a deal with ARRL some years back to have uh, to institute what is called the Amateur Auxiliary. And what the Amateur Auxiliary does is uh, they listen to the bands and uh, people operating, try and help them out, let them know if they've got noise on their signal or uh, power supply hum. And in some cases, uh, official observers are also responsible for collecting uh, information when there is a case at hand. I can't remember any of them right off the top of my head except one that's probably about 20 years old where... uh, there were some guys using uh, two-meter radios to talk across the intercom system at a McDonald's up here in Dallas. 
and they weren't being very polite about what they were saying to individuals that were working the windows. Well, it took several amateur radio operators using DF equipment, collecting uh, information, times, dates, uh, picking information off the air, and presenting it to the FCC before the FCC could act upon it. For the most part, that's basically what an official observer does, kind of sits around and listens. Over the past few years, uh, ARRL and uh, official observer coordinators up there in Newington have been trying to change change, uh, change what, what people think about the official observers. Official observers are not the radio police there to let people know uh, if they have problems with their radios, if they're accidentally operating out of band. And they even have a card that we send out to the good the good operators, the ones who have good uh, good uh, amateur radio practices going on time to time. I was going to tell you that I actually got one of those good cards from an official observer down in Tupelo, Mississippi, when I was operating down there one time, and that, that was a... A surprise to me to get something like that from the OO down there. Well, it, you know, it's nice to let the guys that are, uh, that have good operating practices know that there's somebody out there that hears and appreciates the fact that they are uh, sticking within the guidelines and operating to the best of their ability. And uh, that's one of the things when I. I was an official observer, then I got off the air for a while, got back on and uh, reapplied. And between the time I got off the air and the time I uh, got my credentials back for official observer, they had added the good operator card, which we didn't have before. Now also on your back, back tape here, it says you're an official re relay station from 2003 to the present. Now I'm not really familiar with that term in ham radio. Uh, what is a relay station? Well, an official relay station, that's a uh, an appointment which you can receive from ARRL. Uh, what it basically says is I can handle traffic and <laughs> can be depended on uh, on to access the national traffic system if we should end up in a situation where we needed access to it. Also, I don't know if it's on that. I'm, I don't know how old that page is and if it's got everything. I'm also an assistant radio officer for RACES and assistant emergency coordinator here in the city of Mesquite. Majority of the time when we run a run a reasonable sized drill, I'm the one that's normally stuck in front of an HF rig moving traffic off of VHF to uh, the HF bands. Well, that's that's good to know that you can be dependent on. I, I didn't know what a relay, official relay station was, and didn't know that was sanctioned by the AWRL either. Right, just um, about anybody can apply for that. You know, if you're regular on the traffic net, uh, uh, one of the net managers uh, thinks it's a good idea, all you have to do is apply for it. You know, a similar uh, appointment on the area side, which is official. Uh, similar duties. 
Now, when you handle traffic, do you handle that through this uh, Salvation Army Team Emergency Radio Network, or is that something different? Well, the Salvation Army Team Emergency Radio Network, or Saturn, a lot of people know it by by the name Saturn. Uh, it's Salvation Army version of Harry's National Traffic System. For Salvation Army, Saturn, for the most part, on the local level, provides communication between the mobile canteen and that kind of stuff to keep, uh, keep the food and water flowing for folks who might need it. On uh, the international level, the um, most recent thing that we were involved in on an extremely large, um, extremely heavy basis was Hurricane Katrina. Uh, we In the first hours after Katrina came on land, Saturn was down on 20 meters, uh, helping direct calls and uh, get uh, some help out to the people that needed it. After probably about 48 hours, then they dropped down into health and welfare traffic mode, and that went on for several weeks. I, I think the uh, president or the governor of Mississippi recognized ham radio and their part in the Hurricane Katrina relief effort uh, shortly after the, the hurricane and you know that was really nice and I also understand some other hams uh, I read in the the Sarah Jur- Journal the Southeastern Radio Association I think is what it stands for where that some hams they would just go out and they would uh, help the people get the food and water that they needed and, and, and handle traffic as well well actually also there's uh Another organization located here locally, and uh, they have chapters across the United States called the uh, Texas Baptist Men. Baptist Men perform a very similar function to Saturn or, or not Saturn, but the Salvation Army or the American Red Cross. They go out, they have mobile kitchens, that kind of stuff. Uh, they also have uh, their own radio ministry, which uh, it's called Radio Ministry. What it basically is, guys belong to Texas Baptist men that are ham radio operators. There's quite a few of them. Uh, also operate communications out from disaster areas. Uh, as far as Katrina's concerned, Katrina was a big plus for us because it got us back on the uh, got us back on the scope, made us visible again, and the Department of Homeland Security and FEMA both. Uh, have been very helpful in pushing things through for the amateur radio operators since that happened. Uh, a lot of funding has become available from the government. There's a couple senators that are now being much more aware of legislation that's coming across in Washington, D.C. that might uh, tie our hands or prohibit us from doing things. So, yeah, K- Katrina was a terrible disaster, but for the ham radio operators, it turned out to be a, a definite plus. Uh, now, now that kind of leads me to another question. Uh, now, now this has not even been—I haven't even thought about my questions except while you're talking. And this is kind of a spur of the moment show here. Uh, I really didn't have nothing prepared, but I'm glad I looked at your website. Uh, I understand that there's a lot of these laws are being passed to keep you from using any kind of 
a wireless device in your vehicle. Do you think these cities or states will make exceptions to amateur radio operators? Well, they they may, uh, especially if it's on the local level. I know in the city of Mesquite, uh, if they passed a law or an ordinance like that, uh, we're written into the emergency plan for the city. So there would have to be provisions made for that. I really need to crack down and take a, a better look at what's going on with the prohibition legislation that they're working on right now. Uh, but I'm not too concerned because they've been trying to do that every four or five years for the last 20 years. Yeah. The only real problem that's coming about is these people on their cell phones citizen band operators and amateur radio operators have been operating radios out of their cars for years and haven't had any problems. There's also the people yeah. that are trying to change their clothes and trying to put lipstick on and everything else <laughs> while they're driving. That's creating the problems. I was down in Florida one time. I've seen people doing that, Jeremy, and you probably have too in your travels, doing some weird things when they're trying to drive. I oh, have, Chuck. Oh, yeah, I drive past people out here on 635 and out on I-20 all the time and sitting there reading the book or newspaper. <laughs> now, it works out okay in some jam-ups because you may sit in the same spot for 15 or 20 minutes, but when you're going 60 miles an hour down the road, it doesn't work out too well. I promise y'all, this has nothing to do with ham radio, but I was in Florida one time, and this guy, one morning, he must have been reading a really good book because he had the book open. And I know my truck would go 65, and he was driving uh, faster than I was. And if it had just been just like a regular person, but this was a state employee that was speeding down the road. And this past week, I saw a guy, he had his seat all the way back in his laptop sitting in his lap while he was driving faster than me. And I thought, man, I, I thought I'd seen it all <laughs> until that time. Well, but, he was probably uh, trying to catch a podcast. Oh, maybe it was this podcast, I hope. <laughs> but I thought, that's just that's just totally ridiculous. I don't even keep my laptop uh, on the seat beside me, much less in my lap when I'm trying to drive. Uh, a lot of people in the area, let's say, have got two-meter or 440 HTs. They have radios nowadays. That's a dual band. It's two and four forty, but they can act as a dual band repeater. So you can set one up at a high location, and you can actually activate it as long as you can hit it with an HT and you know have like your own little repeater or whatever. Yeah, I would they'll, like. They'll, they'll receive on one frequency and transmit on another. I, I would just like to see more people involved in ham radio here in the county. Uh, like I said, the the closest repeater is way off that you can't even hit it with a HT. And there's one up here in Bolivar, but it's a local repeater because the frequencies are coordinated where the antenna can't be but so high, and it's a, it's an IRLP repeater, or used to be. And that's just, you know, a 40-foot antenna is not just going to reach out that far. It needs to be way up on a water tower or something. It, and then again, you know, our local government here in my town may be interested in something like that because we're quite frequently hit by tornadoes here and all the way up to Jackson. And Richard, you was talking about the, the ham clubs. Uh, the closest one here is in Jackson, Tennessee. 
and they're real active, but every time it seems like they move a repeater, they move it further away from my house instead of moving it closer. Well, something else you guys could uh, might be able to try and hear some of the folks in there is uh, you can take radios at different locations and hook them all together through Echolink. And you don't have to buy the hardware that you would need for IRLP. Uh, you just have to have somebody with a, a extra computer they can set up and set up a conference and then uh, hook, out, hook uh, some simplex links into that conference. Linking these radios together through the Internet so people in an area can operate on Simplex and be able to talk to somebody else on the other end of the county without actually having a repeater. And you could probably keep them low power enough and the antennas down far enough that uh, they wouldn't interfere with each other. And I'm not sure how the coordinating body in your state is here in Texas. Uh, they don't. Our coordinating body really doesn't mess with the Echolink link radios because they're normally set up on a simple, on one of the simplex frequencies in the VHF band. Echo Link's nice. I play around with that a lot. Well, that's the deal. Most of our guys here do IRLP because they don't want people coming in off the Internet and stuff. But there are a few here locally that uh, link their repeaters with Echo Link and do it in a closed conference. I use it a lot to get back to talk with people I know in Rhode Island. Like I'll go out to meet a repeater there and talk with the people that, that I knew when I lived there. Oh, yeah. I, well, I don't use it a lot. Uh, every once in a while, my father will get on there and talk, or I'll, I'll use it during uh, during an emergency. They had the uh, uh, National Hurricane Center pipe through on one of the conferences when having all these problems over this way, you know, Katrina just hit over in Louisiana, and Rita, Rita only, the center of Rita went about 100 miles east of here, so uh, we had a lot of wind problems with that going on. But uh, back to what I was saying about Echolink, they they were piping the weather information from the time uh, Katrina entered the Gulf of Mexico till well after she made a landfall. They were piping the National Hurricane Center through a conference down on Echolink, and you could hear all You ever played around with that, Jeremy? With with Echolink, I have a little yeah. bit, uh, but not much. Uh, I had it installed on my Windows machine before it died. I think it got <laughs> jealous when I got my Mac. I think it might have seen my wife order my iMac for me. And, it's uh, insulted, huh? It must have because, seriously, I mean, that thing died two days before my Mac got here. And and it just died. It would not. It wouldn't even turn on anymore. I think it's a power supply. Just uh, I might let the smoke out of the power supply. <laughs> you know, all electronics have smoke in them. Once you let it out, it That's zaps it. them. That's it. Uh, but I have just a little bit. And I was working with that EQSO that we had talked about on a previous talkcast, and has <laughs> heard some. Too. Yeah, I'd heard some guys from. Uh, from England on there or Scotland or somewhere in that area in Great Britain and one guy his accent was so thick I barely could understand him I'm like man this dude is not 
even speaking English, <laughs> but obviously he was. But he he just had a real thick accent, and and he understood that I couldn't understand everything, but everything I could hear and understand, you know, made sense. <laughs> but I enjoyed the EQ so uh, program as well. well uh, Richard, I'm sorry. Uh, I was going to ask you another question about your website here. Uh, the Pack Link and Tell Pack page. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I'm not familiar with that either. Well, uh, Pack Link and Tell Pack is a. Uh, it's. Uh, I say it's a. Uh, it's a brother. Or. Uh, it's part of the WinLink 2000 system. And. A lot of people have heard of WinLink 2000. Some haven't. Digital communications is kind of moving that direction on HF and such. WinLink 2000 started out as a way for ships at sea to communicate uh, via email with the U.S. and other places uh, using Pactor. And they still use that. They can receive weather charts and send emails back and forth and get uh, warnings and that kind of stuff. But the guys that are working on it, K4, CJX, and uh, guys call, they uh, have been steadily working on things to make it usable amongst the amateur radio operators. Now, uh, uh, Factor end of it, the HF end of it. A majority of the Windlink stations are on uh, are using running Pactor 2 and Pactor 3, which uses a pretty expensive modem because originators of Pactor 1 didn't realize what they had, but once they figured out that everybody was going to use it, they decided to uh, keep a tighter rein on Pactor 2 and 3. As far as Windlink and Pactlink are concerned, or uh, I'm sorry, Telpac and Packlink. Telpac is a uh, TCP/IP uh, server that can be put on a packet radio system to so that you can hook into the node and emails, uh, kind of like uh, some of the old NOS systems, TNOS, and some of the others. Packlink on the other on the other end of that is it's a client to operate with Telpac. Packlink you can set it up where you can use your regular email client, whether it's well, I use Thunderbird here. I believe it's I'll go and I don't remember what the name of the Windows version is, but you can use your mail client to send to write an email, point the mail client at uh, Packlink as your POP server and SMTP server, it will format that message, press it, and send it out over packet radio to Telpac node, which will be able to read the encrypted message and put it into the internet as an email and send it off to its appropriate uh, place. Actually, right now I'm still running the system over here, and there's a guy over in Tarrant County that's running it. Fifteen stations in Collin County, which is the county just north of Dallas. And one time it was picking up and going, but uh, I really don't know. But what it basically boils down to is you can sit down at Thunderbird or 
one of the other male clients type an email, turn, forward out over packet to the uh, server that's hooked into the internet. The message goes, gets uncompressed, goes in, and ends up in whoever's mailbox you're sending it to. Regular internet service. Wow, I wish we'd had that a few years back when I was running the uh, the packet BBS uh, in North Mississippi <laughs> or Northeast Mississippi. We was getting traffic out of Alabama, and then we finally got it out of uh, Western Tennessee, not far from where I live now. And that was that was fun. That was my mode and my that I liked to operate on was packet. And I, I ran that BBS for a couple of years, and it was really fun. It was about a 12-hour hop, skip, and jump from my house up to uh, the northern U.S. Uh, around Oregon and Washington. So you know, I, I thought that was pretty neat. That sounds so similar to the packet uh, BBS network, though. Well, digital is the thing I've gravitated towards since I got licensed. Uh, before I was licensed, I ran a landline BBS and that kind of stuff. When I got licensed, I discovered uh, F6FBB and G8BPQ, uh, uh, the G8BPQ switch, so I started uh, doing things like that. My father and I were both hubs down here in DFW for uh, different Patrick packet networks back in the 90s. And I came when I got back on the air a few years back. I was going to go ahead and try and put a packet BBS back up, but things have moved on, and uh, you really don't find a lot of those. I ran a uh, a Winlink uh, BBS for the National Traffic System for a while, and then moved on to this particular system here. I don't know if that that page had it on there, but I'm among other things. I, I wear a lot of hats. I'm also the digital manager national traffic system up here in the North Texas area uh, we have a lot of digital going on at the at time, present time but I had the HF up and going on a regular basis I was pretty much pretty much the hub for this this particular section and daily I was either hooking into Leon out in Mississippi to pick up uh, Region 5 messages or hooking up with a guy down in Houston to pick up the North Texas traffic. Yeah, the good old packet days. I used to run a big note over here a long time ago. I had a link to the internet and everything else. I always enjoyed packet. I got in a packet with a little bitty device. I can't remember what it was called. You plugged it into the serial port on the back of your computer, and you ran some wires, and you had to wire this deal up with your HT or your mobile rig, whichever, and uh might have been called a PatCom or something, uh, but you had to do all the wiring yourself because it didn't come pre-wired, and it used a phone cable that plugged into the back of that little box. It was, and the the software acted like the TNC. It did all the decoding and encoding for the computer to understand and that, that was fun and then I finally got a KPC3 uh, Cantronics TNC and I used that for a long time until unfortunately a couple of three years ago I sold it on eBay pretty cheap I still so, got mine over here <laughs> I got two TNCs actually well yeah that sounds like one of those old Baycom modems probably about the size of a cigarette package 
Yeah, that, that is. Yeah, I think it was kind of Baycom. <laughs> well, you know, we're, we're all friends here, and nobody can hear us. So I'm gonna I'm gonna confess to y'all. Uh, my first packet station consisted of a Commodore 64 uh, sitting on uh, on a coffee table in the living room, ran into my PK88 uh, packet controller, and the coax ran out the window to a mag mount sitting up on top of the trash can out the front yard. <laughs> Mine was a 128, my first one. Well, there you go. But now, y'all don't go telling everybody about that. But then I uh, set up Linux and put all my TNCs in KISS mode and went that route with the packet nodes and everything. Richard, I'm sure no more than a thousand people is going to download this podcast. So, <laughs> you know, your secret is safe with us. <laughs> well, uh, as long as my father doesn't hear it, I'm, I'm, he just got him an iPod and he said he's just discovering what he can do with it. Oh, is he also a ham operator? Oh yeah, he he he's one. My mother used to have a license, but she let it let it lapse. Uh, I'm trying to get everybody radioed up here, so uh, I don't have the problem with the argument about putting the radio in the car. Oh, I can't blame me for that. <laughs> well, my first uh, ham station, my first computer that I had was a little Baycom, and and that's what it was. So I remember now. Was a uh, was a laptop and that thing was huge, weighed about 25 pounds it seemed like. Had a three and a half inch disk drive, and didn't have an internal hard drive, and had a I think a 4.77 megahertz processor in it. <laughs> oh yeah, well I didn't move over to PCs until they were about 12 megahertz. But, uh, <laughs> I, I, I remember pushing all the memory chips into the motherboard with my thumb. Wow. <laughs> uh, I did have a, uh, a Coco 2 or 3, I think that's what it was called, that I would use my, this DX390 I have sitting right here beside me, still today, a shortwave radio, and I would get uh, those weather faxes, facsimiles, I think is what they call them, uh, off the HF bands, and you had to have a... Uh, BFO, and you had to tune that thing just right, and that thing would go across your screen and draw that uh, picture for you. And, and I thought that was so cool. And I, I loaned that, or I gave that computer to somebody else back years ago. And but it was a line of um, I don't even remember where I got the program from, but I had to go and type in bunches of numbers and. It had an automatic deal where if you typed in the wrong number, it would tell you what line it was on. Then you had to go back and change that line. It was kind of like DOS programming. You had that number five, and you did that command, and, you know, that little deal. I don't know if you You probably remember those. You and Chuck both probably remember. Yeah, well, all those old computers like that had their own, own license. They called them all basic. They were all different. Uh, standardization is something that's never really happened in computers until recent years. But um, you know that's that's the thing. I've I've been operating Ready Packet. Uh, I, I used to love Amtor, but you really can't find any Amtor anymore. And uh, things things are continuing to progress. This PSK31 that's very interesting, and we're even taking digital modes that uh, we put to rest a long time ago. And, 
pulling them back out and knocking the dust off of them and giving them another try. Um, I can ne- I can never say too much about uh, digital for my taste because you know that's if you have a love in amateur radio you you tend to talk about it. You know my two things are digital communications and wire antennas. Well, I actually I'd like to have you back on and talk about the other modes. That's that's what I kind of want to talk about tonight. Until I saw your website, and I want to ask those questions. Uh, but in the future, I'd like to talk about the PSK31 and uh, Ready and and all those other different modes that I know absolutely nothing about. And even though I've got some friends that used to do that. Well, yeah, and that. You know, that's, that's the deal. I like to monkey with these things. You know, coming in when Commodore 64s were still around, you, you write your own program and all this other stuff, and I got to, man, if it's technological, I like it. I can't afford some of it, but, you know, it, it, it glows in the dark. I guess that goes back to that old tube rig I used to have. If it glows in the dark, I'm, I'm happy with it. Yeah, I'm the same way. I've... I like my little gadgets. I bet you Chuck's the same way. Well, I like the tube radios because it used to keep my room nice and warm in the wintertime. <laughs> well, uh, fortunately, we don't have that problem right now. It's, it's getting warm warm down here. Chuck, I was up in your area around uh, uh, Wintersville, Ohio, a couple of weeks ago, and I wanted to quit my job right then, but... We've had a lot of rain around here, though, the past couple of days. All the snow we had is just about gone. <laughs> I would care if I never saw snow again, to be honest with you. <laughs> you, guys, you guys are making me jealous, man. We, we've been under in the middle of a drought for about two years down here. We get rain occasionally, but it's, it's never quite enough. Here, uh, here a week or two ago, we ended up with a pretty strong wind. It was kicking up the dirt in the cotton fields out that direction. It was so dusty that visibility got down to the point that airplanes couldn't land over at the DFW airport. Uh, couldn't hardly keep a car on the road over here. And visibility was but probably a thousand feet at one point. I've seen that out in the El Paso and Fabens area, Richard. Whenever those winds would just be blowing and the dust would just... You couldn't hardly see the road, much less... Uh, anything else, and you didn't want to roll your window down because I wear contacts, and you'd get that, that all that dust in your eyes, and I've I know exactly what you're talking about. Not here. After all the snow melt, I walk out in my yard now, and it goes squish squish. It feels like a sponge. <laughs> I tell you, it's getting to the point around here that the fish are having to buy bicycles to get around. <laughs> but that's that's good right there. I live up I was, on a hill too, Jeremy. <laughs> Chuck, did y'all get a lot of that snow that they got a couple of weeks ago up there, like in Ohio and New York? No, they're up in the, where they got it in New York. They're up in what they call the snow belt, so they get the lake effect. I don't get it that much here because I'm far enough away, but I know what it's like because I used to live up in that snow belt. When they get it, they get it. And I tell you what, I was up there. Uh, it was my first week on my new job uh, two weeks ago, and... It was like five degrees at nine o'clock in the morning. I just thought this southern blood just ain't made for that. And 
Ah, see, I woke up one night and somebody was beating on the door. I, I woke up and looked, it was a snowman wanting in. It was so cold outside. Oh, yeah, we it's gotten cold here. When they got a lot of snow about a week afterwards, we got about seven, eight inches here. Uh, and then, you know, maybe a few inches after that. But we, what, Friday night? A couple nights ago, we had rain all night, and it's gotten really warm. So all the snow we had is just about gone, which don't hurt my feelings any. Well, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up, and we'll, we'll talk afterwards. Uh, well, Richard, I appreciate you stopping by tonight, and Chuck, too. Uh, um, maybe we can get together in the next couple of three weeks. I think I'm going to be out of pocket this next Saturday on my way to Shaky Town, as we truckers call it, out there to California, but I'm not sure yet. Uh, but I'll try to be here in a couple of three weeks, and we'll talk about those different modes that y'all are Shaking the dust off of. I think that'd be fun. Well, we we, we can sure enough make it happen. I can, I can see coming to visit with y'all more often. I gotta turn on my TNC see if they still work. <laughs> they haven't been on in like four years, three four years. Oh, that would be bad. What if you cut that command on that cut the LEDs off? You wouldn't know if it worked in or not. To the, to the computer. Well, the battery. I took the batteries out because it's got like a battery of a, a battery for the backup. I just uh-huh. got to put it back in. It should work. I mean, they've just been set there. Well, I like to thank everybody for listening tonight, and Richard for you joining, and Chuck for you joining tonight, and the ones listening on the stream. Thanks for joining. Us. Okay, that's it for this week. I'd like to thank everybody for downloading us and being here with us. Y'all can go over, like I said, y'all can go on over to iTunes and sign up over there or at Podcast Alley or at your favorite podcast website. I'd like to thank Jeremy for allowing us to use segments of Amateur Radio Q&A in the making of this podcast. And y'all go over and visit him. Go on over to Talk Shoe and look up Amateur Radio Q&A. As far as suggestions, feedback, if you want to be a guest on the show or you just want me to read your email on, on the podcast, you can send that email to kb5jbv at gmail.com or go on over to the website We'll be posting some show notes over there in the next day or so for this episode. The website is Kilo Bravo 5 Juliet Bravo Victor KB5 JBV dot blogspot dot com. We'd also like to thank Midlife Crisis for the music heard on this podcast and I hope y'all tune in for the next one. We'll try and keep them as regular as possible, even though we may miss some now and then. I'm currently working on guests for y'all. Got some DX lined up. Uh, Currently talking to some guys about amateur television and even APRS. So y'all keep downloading those podcasts and we'll keep bringing them to you. Once again, thank you for downloading, and we'll see you next time. This is KB5JBV.
some of yours you feel like giving away. That may be fine for you. I'm saving for my rainy day. I've been working way too hard. Nine to five every day. Yeah, for you to be giving it. Yeah, just giving it all away. Well, you found someone in need. See, that's not my problem. I think you should tell them to get out. Like me and get a job. Yeah, I've been paying my taxes. Working hard every day. Don't you dare. Go giving it all away. worked on the life, had a little time for play, so don't you dare give all mine away.